I think the best drug is peace, man. Is the best one. The rest are just chemicals. Hello and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It's producer Harry here again. Now, if you go back a few weeks, we had the alleged first son of Pablo Escobar on the podcast. Now, little did we know when we started that episode, it would take us down some pretty crazy paths. So it's fair to say that uh, Philip, his story was very much within question. And actually, the interview you're just about to hear now is because of the interview we did with Philip. Someone was watching that particular interview when we live streamed it, and they approached us to come on the podcast and set the record straight. So this interview is with the real son of Pablo Escobar, born Juan Pablo Escobar, but now goes by the name of Juan Sebastian Marroquin. So we were a little bit shocked when uh, Juan approached us to be on the podcast, and this particular interview didn't really turn out to what I thought in a good way. This is a real deep dive, open story, and Juan Pablo gets into detail about his journey and the fallout, uh, what happened with his family, you know, having to leave Colombia because of his father, and he's someone with such a humble soul, couldn't be any more different than from his father. So it's been a crazy few weeks on the podcast because of this whole Escobar thing. So let's just get straight into the interview with Pablo Escobar's real son. But remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. How do you pronounce your surname, Sebastian? Just so I know. My surname? Yeah. Juan Pablo Escobar Enao. Uh, yeah. Enao. And then in your um, Sebastian surname, how how do you pronounce Ma- that? Marroquin. Marroquin. Marroquin, yes. Marroquin. Sebastian Marroquin. Got it. And by the way, I know we're live, just in case you thought you'd caught me out. Um, so welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur channel. If you're first time or not subscribed to the YouTube channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We have a very, very special guest. So Sebastian Marroquin also known as Juan Pablo Escobar, um, more famously um, the son of Pablo Escobar. So um, I asked Sebastian, how would you like me to address you? Would you like me to address you as Sebastian or Juan Pablo? And he says he doesn't mind. So I'm probably going to flick between both. So Sebastian, welcome to the show. (laughs) Many, many thanks. Um, It's a pleasure to be here with you and, and to share most of my stories with you and the audience too. And you're in Argentina right now, is that right? Yes, I am in Buenos Aires. I've been living here for the past uh, 26 years of my life, more than half of my life. So it's been quite quite long, but um, happy to be here, man. And did you, um, when you fled, um, when you had basically had to change your name and, and flee for your life, was it to Argentina where you left? Well, actually, you know, we we would we tried to get some visa from the different countries that had an embassy in Bogota, in Colombia, but we not not uh, any success. And even we asked for the help of the United Nations, the Vatican, the Red Cross, and many others, but nobody could help us at that time. So the only chance we got was uh, changing changing legally our identity. Uh, formerly, of course, I was Juan Pablo Escobar now, but today my legal name, you know, I have all my documents and they all said Juan Sebastian Marroquin. So it was the only way out. And we had an agreement with the Mozambican government. Uh, so they will they will receive us over there. 
And of course, we, we went there, we traveled, but uh, the country was so destroyed. There was no hope for anyone. Uh, you know, they were living a civil war for more than 20 years. So even if you have uh, money, the supermarkets were, you know, empty at all. There was no food, a lot of suffering in Africa. So we decided to, to take the risk and, and to, you know, travel to Argentina. It was a decision that we make in, in the road, you know, but, uh, and here we are, 26 years after, here we are. Okay, so um, this is an amazing story. And if we could go back sort of near the start. So um, I believe the word you use for your father is a bandit. Um, yeah. At, at what point in your growing up, at what age or can you remember when your dad said to you what he does or you got a, a realisation that actually your dad is a serious criminal, uh, yeah. drug lord, bandit, whatever? Well, you know, it was himself who told me that, who described himself as a bandit, you know, and I was seven, seven years old and it happened right after uh, he um, ordered the killing of the Minister of Justice, uh, Mr. Rodrigo Lara Bonilla, who died in the year 1984. Uh, suddenly, we were forced to move uh, from uh, our home in Medellin. And the next day, we woke up in Panama City. We took a helicopter and we received the, the protection of General Noriega over there. And all my family uh, had to escape uh, from that violence that started, you know, when my father he reacted very violently against the minister because the minister was, you know, accusing him of the truth because of course, my father, uh, as a good politician, also was lying and saying that he was not. But, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of facts that uh, even some uh, media articles that, you know, make him... Um, uh, to be, you know, presented to the public as a drug dealer. So he decided to quit as a politician and he declared a war against the government and the Colombian institutions. So we were forced to leave the country, all the family, because uh, a big persecution started and that it was the only way so we could truly save our lives in those times. And this is the first time I was seven years old when he told me, yeah, son, I want you to know what I do. I'm a bandit, and this is what I do for a living. And since then, he didn't have any problem to share with me. You know, we, we used to watch the news together, and he used to say, yes, I am responsible for this, or I am not. So this is how I started to understand what was the kind of activity that my father was uh, involved. And, of course, when you're a you know, seven-year-old kid, you don't, you know exactly the meaning of the word bandit, but what you don't really realize is that perhaps he was a bandit who was, uh, you know, the, let's say the CEO of one of the biggest criminal organizations of the last century. And um, how did that, actually, at what age did you really get it? Because, I mean, at seven, do you really get what that is? Or was it a bit later where you really realized how serious and how widespread this all is? Well, of, of course, it took me a while, you know, uh, but 
of course, I, I also understood the, the situation from the same moment because, you know, we were surrounded by bodyguards, guns all the time. And, and very soon we moved to Nicaragua too because my father was not trusting very much Mr. Noriega because he was also a CIA agent at the same time. So my father was worried that perhaps he could uh, be involved in some operation against him in Panama City. So that's what uh, made my father took the decision to move everybody over there. And it was like fear always because, uh, you know, you heard, you, we couldn't hear the gunshots. There was a big war between the left, uh, right, right, uh, the lefties and the right wing groups. They were killing each other. The communism was all, all over the place. And, and of course, at the same time, uh, the CIA was trying to finance the, like an illegal war against the lefties in Central America. And at the same time, they were using the, the drug trafficking money for, for, you know, to support financially, uh, the war against the lefties. So my father somehow was in the middle of that. And, and, you know, this is, disconnect his story with the Barisil story. I don't know if you know a little bit about Barisil, but he was a uh, uh, former agent of uh, the CIA and also a DEA informant that uh, he also used to work as a pilot for my father. So you can see uh, that violence uh, forced uh, of, uh, all of our family members to move from any uh, one country to another. And this is how we survived for the first, let's say, the first year during the, during the 84s. Yeah. And how do you think it affected you growing up, traveling a lot, being around violence, having threats to your life, bodyguards? How do you think that affected you? Well, Rob, uh, you know, according to what should happen, I, I, I should be a bandit also. You know, but I, I took a different path in my life because I, I am very aware of the consequences of uh, this kind of business. And I was watching my father committing a lot of mistakes and crimes. And and I don't I cannot tell you that I know even one single drug dealer who could say I am retired. You know, they are all in jail or, or cemetery. So there's no there's no way out. And it was a difficult decision for me, too, because, you know, the know-how that I had was, you know, to be like my father, because I was watching him every most every single day. Of course, during the last 10 years of his life, we shared less because, you know, all the authorities and his enemies were after him. So it was difficult for everyone to, to stay in touch uh, in a regular basis, but every weekend, mostly, we went to see him, and and I was surrounded by bodyguards, bandits, sicarios, and, you know, it's a miracle that I became an architect, an industrial designer, a writer, a lecturer, you know, who, and I'm, I'm taking my father's stories to perhaps to make uh, the teenagers and the people aware of the consequences of trying to be involved in this kind of business because it is, for me, it's sad how my father is being portrayed in the media, you know, and in many TV series, if you have the chance to look some of them, you know, you can see like he's some kind of a superhero. And, you know, the kids, they, they get confused. They, they really believe that... Uh, 
it's something good for them it's a success story and for me it's not you know what is success for you rob i don't know but for me it's something that you can truly enjoy during a lot of time not just for a couple of years of your life mm. and if having that kind of success will kill your family members your friends and everybody you know what's the point of uh, having that kind of opportunities because i i don't mm. think and so we were we were also starving at the same time with millions of dollars we were in on the run and hiding no possibility to buy any food so that's a lot of sad stories and important stories that happen that make me change my way of thinking for the rest of my life and now that i'm a father uh, imagine i have uh, a great commitment and a great challenge in front of me to raise him with the best human values that i can give him so once he has the chance he will not follow his grandfather's examples. Mm. So you've opened a few nice threads there, which we'll come to through the interview. Just want to say for everyone watching, I can see some questions coming in. That's great. Keep them coming in because I'm going to ask some of your questions a bit later on. And make sure you subscribe to the channel if you've hit here, but you've not subscribed yet. So what I want to do is I want to uh, sort of join the dots of the timeline that's okay, Juan Pablo, for those who don't fully know the story. So you found out at seven that your dad was the boss of a massive cartel and he's a bandit. Um, and then to save your own lives, um, mm -hmm. I, from my research, and correct me if I've got any of my research wrong, mm -hmm. um, you gave everything of your father's to his enemies, you fled the country, and you changed your names. How old were you when that happened? And is that correct? Yeah, it's totally correct. I was 16 years old when my father passed away. And um, of course, my uh, all my family uh, were very worried about my safety. Um, and I was also, let's say, invited to a meeting with the Cali cartel, my father's worst enemies and most dangerous ones. And they told me that they were going to kill me in that meeting. And so I, as you can imagine, I, the first answer I gave was, no, thank you very much. Who wants to go <laughs> to a meeting like that? But uh, I really I had no choice. And, I, and of course, I, was, I received this invitation because I was forced to go to a prison where some of the cartel members were there who gave me the message. But uh, I was insulted and I received many threats over there. And but suddenly a guy that never knew my life approached to me and he said, hey, look, man, you don't understand what's going on. Because I was saying to the guy, uh, the guy was uh, Ivan Urdinola Grajales. He was the head of the Norte del Valle cartel, another cartel, let's say, very nearby the Cali cartel. And uh, he was saying that. Uh, uh, the new bosses were the Cali cartel and that I have to present my respects and uh, there was no chance that I could survive a meeting with them. So, of course, I said, oh, okay, I will. And suddenly a guy that I didn't know, uh, he approached me and he said, hey, son, you need to pay attention to what he's saying because the only chance you have to get out alive from that meeting is to be there, sharp, you know on time and and it takes uh, he told me you are already dead man so the only chance you have is just try and go because these people is also tired of seeing many violence and blood and they want to stop this but you know they want to be sure that you're not going to 
avenge your father. So uh, I, I decided to go there, man. I, I wrote my own will for the first time when I was 16, and I, I was totally decided to go and die over there in wow. the most painful way, as you can imagine, because uh, this weren't the kind of guy who shot at you and in the head, and that will be all. And so because I decided to do that because, you know, I had to take the risk. I didn't want to live the rest of my life running away from my father's sins. Uh, so I said to myself, "It's this is going to be the end." But well, well let's do it. You know, it's uh, I had no choice. And um, you know, there's a very thin line between being brave and stupid. Very, very thin line. <laughs> so I I decided to go there. And my mother joined me, and she literally uh, offered her life. Uh, just to get as a guarantee that I was going to behave for the rest of my life. So she made that promise. And of course, I am uh, fulfilling that promise with her at the same time. And so this is how we get out. And of course, the Cali Cartel bosses, they told us uh, we are going to, um, we need to recover all the money that we invested, you know, chasing your father and killing him. So you have to give, uh, give us all what you inherit from your father and if you have uh, and if you hide one single coin we will kill you and as you can imagine they were they used to be partners also of my father so they knew everything 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 we had so we had to give everything for them and works of art uh, many properties apartments airplanes helicopters vehicles anything that you can imagine so we give it all and there was no warranty that they were save our lives because who was going to complain if they killed the son of Pablo Escobar? It, it was it was going to be seen as a big favor to the country because in those times there was a promise of violence and not the a promise of peace that I am today. So they took a big risk by uh, letting me go go out alive from that meeting. But I believe they did that because they were they were thinking about their own future because they knew that they the power the power they have, it, it wasn't going to last much. And they wanted that in the future, their sons will be respected as they respect me as the son of Pablo Escobar. So it was a miracle. And I have to be very grateful with them because they truly gave me a second chance in my life. And I am respecting that second chance with all my heart. They know that. Hi, it's Rob here, interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts, for any training that we might run. Not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a, a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anything. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. 
So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. Okay, again, more threads open, which I'll um, come to a bit later on. So still want to finish this journey. So how long did you stay in secret or the new identity before you then went public again to say who you are, Juan Pablo Escobar, as opposed to Sebastian uh, Marroquin? Yes, well, you know, it ha- we, as, as I told you, we, we stay in Argentina and we managed to stay let's say, in a very low-profile life um, for five years. And then we got uh, bad luck. We met an accountant, and I don't know how, but he he discovered our true identity. Perhaps he saw a magazine with our pictures or something like that. Because we have to remember there was no internet in those times, you know, so people had no full access to information as we have today. And this guy, of course, he started an extortion. Um, he was trying to be like our friend, but you know, at the same time, he was asking for money and more money and more money. And he decided to rob us. And uh, so we went to the police. We went to see a judge. You know, we we had nothing to fear. We we did everything legal, and we denounced this guy again. You know, to the authorities, and they put us in jail. You know, it's like uh, it's like if you're being robbed in the streets and you go to the police station to make a complaint and they leave you in jail just for being stupid and for let the thief go away with your money. <laughs> That's how it worked <laughs> in Argentina. And so it was uh, a very disappointing situation for us because, you know, we were just doing everything in the most legal way you can imagine. And, and suddenly, you know, it took us seven years of our lives to demonstrate our innocence. And um, the case went even to the Supreme Court in Argentina. And they put like uh, 12 accountants to check every single cent that we have. And all the 12 accountants, they said, this family didn't do anything wrong. They were just trying to demonstrate that they were living a clean life. And so finally, we were declared innocent. But it, uh, you know, it was uh, a lot of suffering because we, it wasn't our decision to be in the public eye again. Uh, we were, you know, enjoying the, the right to be nobody, to be just some, another citizen and nobody else. But, you know, um, I've been just thinking about it with uh, a little bit of perspective. And I have to thank this accountant for robbing us and extorting us because you know, he gave us at the same time the opportunity to set us free from, you know, the new identity we had. And so there was nothing else to hide. And now we are living in a more peaceful way. And now I, I don't care, man, if you call me Sebastian or Juan Pablo or Pedro, you know, I'm not attached to my name, not, not even to my last name. Because imagine if I believe to be uh, an Escobar, you know, I should be a bandit too. And so I'm not following that kind of uh, things for my life. 
And someone's asked here, and I might pull up their name, were you ever tempted to follow in his footsteps or because of what you saw, did it push you so far away? Well, I can confess that I was tempted for 10 minutes of my life. And it was exactly the 10 minutes after I, I got a call the, from a journalist who said to me, your father is dead. The police confirmed that. And she kept asking, what, did, what are you going to do, etc." Many times I said like seven times, we don't want to talk right now. We don't want to talk. But suddenly she, um, she got what she wanted and I make a, a threat. Okay, I'm going to kill these motherfuckers by myself. Sorry for... For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector, I'm a watch investor, and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United, and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk, and he sources the higher-end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years, and recently we've done a partnership. Hence, I'm inviting you, if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation, to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. My French, but you know, this is exactly <laughs> the way the, the the way I I said this. Pub I didn't knew that this was going to become public because she never told me that she was recording me, and it was also illegal for her as a journalist to record a minor of age because I was a minor when that happened. Mm. And I'm not making any excuses. You know, I'm totally aware that you know this is a big mistake that I committed, and. Uh, and a big lesson came from out of this because I, I understood for the first time in my life the power of a declaration. When you declare something, you are changing immediately your own present and future. And uh, perhaps you, you won't see the changes right away, but only five seconds of threats make me live in, the, in exile for the past 26 years of my life. So uh, those few words uh, really meant a lot and changed my destiny in many, many ways. But uh, you know we have we have we are learning from all of this, and what we want to do is share these stories uh, with the public, so we can be all more aware of the consequences. Mm. Okay, so now I'd like to move on a bit about you, um, Sebastian, if that's okay. So you're an architect, you're an author, you do these interviews, you've built a very successful life of your own volition. So can you tell us how you got into architecture? how you created your own identity. Um, quite a few people have asked, and I think this is a nice question to add in. You know, have you ever felt in the shadows of your father? You know, do you sometimes feel that that's really the only way you're known? So maybe you could paint that picture for us. Well, you know, it's, uh, it was uh, difficult for me to, to find my own identity as a man, you know. Uh, nothing grows under a big tree. And my father, for, of course, was a, a very big tree and there was a big shadow. And uh, it was difficult to uh, separate myself 
enough to to build my own identity and and i understand you know i will be presented all my life uh, no matter how how hard i try as the son of pablo escobar you know he's going to be my father for life so and i i'm not uh, i have no regrets you know because he was a kind guy with me and he gave me a lot of love and even good advices because he never pushed me to be like him he didn't want to have a son who could follow his own footsteps so he always encouraged me to study, to be someone else. He told me, hey, son, I, I tried to go to, to the university many times, and so I, I quit because I didn't have any money to keep studying. So, But uh, your situation is different with someone else. Uh, if you want to be a doctor, I'm going to give you the best hospital in Colombia. Or if you want to be a hairdresser, well, you're going to have a saloon. Uh, so... Um, he was very open-minded and he encouraged me to study. So when, when I had the opportunity to stay in Argentina, right away, from starting, so I became an expert in you know, 3D design and then I studied industrial design first. Then I stayed in that university as a teacher and um, had the best uh, notes in, in that time and also uh, and in the middle, I was detained by the police because this um, this accountant was uh, in the middle of uh, his extortion against us. So he told, uh, you know, he, he handled to with a judge and a couple of people from the justice. So they made a big scandal. And it's a very common thing. You know, the, there's a lot of uh, prosecutors that feel tempted to accuse us, whatever. They don't care. It's, it's just good for their careers and for the press. And it uh, entertains everyone. Uh, while we are suffering, everybody's enjoying. Uh, so this is what happened. Uh, but I kept uh, studying architecture and I graduated. And it's difficult to find a job as an architect because, you know, if a family wants to build a house, they will pick the architect who's not the son of Pablo Escobar. So they will keep the authorities away from them. <laughs> so it's uh, a little bit different, uh, difficult for me. But... Uh, even though, you know, there's a lot of families who trust me and my talent as an architect, and I've been working not, not as much as I wish, but uh, I know that a lot of people trust in the kind of work that I do as an architect. But um, mostly what I'm doing now is, uh, you know, with my books and documentaries, trying to, uh, you know, make the people aware of uh, but this is not a success uh, case, in, in, you know, when it comes to talk about my father. So it took me a while to build my own identity. I was declared recently like um, the ambassador of peace from uh, World uh, Organization for Peace. Wow. So it, uh, it was something that I truly, I feel very proud of it because, you know, I have a seven-year-old kid. And my big challenge uh, in my life is to raise him with the best human values. Uh, so uh, I'm just trying to do my best, and I believe that I am achieving uh, a lot of things, uh, even if I have the last name that will be after me for the rest of my life. And changing my identity doesn't mean that I don't love my father. I love him very much. But uh, that kind of love doesn't make me blind. I am also very aware of the consequences of his actions and how many people he hurt. Mm. So would you say you're on a bit of a mission? And if you are, what is that mission? 
Well, I think that uh, one of my missions is, uh, you know, to be very responsible in the way we tell the stories about Pablo Escobar, because it's easy to glorify him, and and he became a big big name, like a big international brand uh, that sells a lot, that brings the people attention right away. Most of the articles, you know, his yeah, I don't know, I cannot on well, I have terms of business. But, uh, my father. He passed away 26 years ago. He's more famous today than ever, and he produces more news today than ever in his whole life. But when he was alive, he was even more important in terms of how many appearances he had in the in the press. With um, you know, he was compared with the president of the United States and the Pope, you know, John Paul II. So uh, he was very known in those times. But today, it's even more even by the new generations. But the way they are connecting my father's stories with the new generations is through this kind of series, man, that are not helping at all. I receive, let's say, 3,000 messages every single day from the social media, and they said to me, hey, I just saw Narcos, and it's so cool. I want to be like your dad. What's the next step? You know, and I'm <laughs> saying to them... I'm not going to uh, ask you that one, don't worry. I, I'm not going to sell you any tickets to go into that world, man. It's not uh, <laughs> something that uh, it will be my... Uh, that won't be a, an advice that I will give you. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard because they send me tattoos about my father. They, they, they see him like a superhero, man. And, and it's, uh, you know, I tell them, hey, man, it's my dad. I love him very much, but I will never dare to be like him because look how everything ends. You mm. know, and, you know, his empire was totally destroyed. His money was at the end used to finance his own death. So what's the purpose of, you know, having so much money and power if you are not going to be allowed to enjoy it? You know, mm -hmm. I prefer to be poor but free. I feel I am go I'm going to feel richer than anyone. Mm. Amen to that. So a few people have asked, um, and William specifically here, William McKinney, but a few people have asked, um, do you not fear retaliation or for your safety, um, you know, telling the story? How well, is your personal security? Well, well, I'm, you know, I trust God, man. You know, he he's my best bodyguard for sure. <laughs> I'm I'm a miracle that I'm still here talking to you. Uh, I believe that, of course, the risk is less today because uh, of many many reasons. You know, most of my father's enemy they kill each other. The rest are in prison, and uh, um, all of them they know that I'm not not a threat to anyone. They truly know that. And mm. the authorities, they know more about that. You know, I have many chances to be another guy and I will never dare to do it. Uh, so I am not truly concerned about my security. You know, I, I changed my mind and I know that the guys who perhaps wanted to kill me because of my father's actions in life, you know, they have the power to kill me here in Argentina or in Japan, in any part of the world. So there's no worries and i trust god that you know he if he kept me alive for 40 43 years so far i think he had a be a better plan for me and i'm just trying to honor this opportunity and i'm not looking you know who's who's in the back you know i'm not worried i know that you know uh, this is uh, 
we are not going to live forever and but all of our actions are you know if we are we were going to live that way but uh, i'm just trying to leave to my son a good legacy and not more uh, images about blood terrorism drug trafficking business this is not the kind of life uh, the kind of things that i want to leave to my son so it's hard to to reinvent yourself every mm. every single day and i made uh, you know 10 minutes after the threats i made a call to the media uh, the same day and i said to them look whatever i have to do to bring peace to my country i will do it uh, sadly uh, i've been remembered more for the promise of violence and uh, to avenge my father's death than uh, the promise of peace but today you know facts they speak better about me than myself i think okay so um do you think your father was a good businessman this has been asked a lot by the way so well it, it depends how you see that you know because uh, i can say you know my father was declared uh from one of our former vice president uh, mr francisco santos we have to say that uh, and remember that he was kidnapped by my father for almost six months he was the um, editor of one of the main uh, more important newspaper of colombia called el tiempo and my father was a little bit mad because of the headlines they were printing in the so he kidnapped the, the director and he became the vice president and he called him like my father was a da vinci of crime and you know perhaps he could be called like that the da vinci of crime he was a man who was you know very he he, he found very simple solutions to one of the most complicated problems you can imagine so he he was a big cheater you know he, he was always cheating on me and in the family so he he was enjoying he was laughing you know he was like having fun uh just uh, to be a drug dealer and to fool the authorities and he was enjoying that and of course he had a, a great uh knowledge about logistics man in those times during the 80s you know you couldn't even find a single uh cellular phone there was nothing like that you know there was no communication so i don't know how he could handle uh you know to start a business and make it grow so fast at the same time i understand that the society the police the authorities they weren't aware of how big was going to be this kind of business so my father took the opportunity he saw the opportunity and he took it for himself and this is how he um, he started to make business with the drug, and um, he used to uh, put his own fortune as an you know to as an insurance company. So everybody was investing in my father's drug trafficking business because he said to them, "Look, if you invest your money with me, I will give you triple. I will triple your money in 15 days. It doesn't matter if uh, the operation goes well or not. I will respond." With my own, uh, with my own fortune. So imagine, it's like uh, you're going to a casino, and the casino is promising you, promising you that they are going to triple your money in 15 days. Who won't be there? Uh, so no wonder why uh, I was seeing my father at, at his office and 300 people in line just to 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 wait for the opportunity to speak with him and make business with him. 
and it means you know a lot of politicians, uh, people from from the sports in Colombia, and policemen, and congressmen. A lot of people was there, but of course this is not uh, being told by anyone, just by me. I saw mm. them. So maybe it sounds like he was maybe even a better salesman than a businessman. Well, you know he was. Uh, very creative in terms of, uh, and I can give you a short story uh, because you know he he invented a way to send cocaine to the United States. I don't know how he made it, but he put cocaine inside of uh, the jeans, you know, some pants, and uh, I don't know he, what kind of formula he used. So they dry the pants, and if you open it, you know, you just see a cup, a pair of jeans, and there was nothing else. But if you wash them, you will extract the cocaine from it. So, so the DEA understood and they discovered this because someone uh, told them and other kids and in the same boxes full of jeans. But this in this opportunity without any cocaine. So imagine the DEA was watching every and they, they found nothing. And they throw the bus the boxes to the garbage. And the boxes were full of cocaine. So my father was very intelligent to put even his own enemies to work for them, for him, you know, and uh, with his own intelligence because he knew, okay, they're going to look for the cocaine inside the jeans and they're going to, you know, they're going to feel tired of watching every single gene. They won't found a single gram of cocaine. So they will throw the boxes to the garbage and the boxes were very easy to identify. So his men, they went to the garbage and they took the boxes with the cocaine, thanks to the help of the DEA, without knowing that they were helping my father. Mm. So he was very clever, you know, and um, it's sad for me that he used his talent for the bad purposes, because if he had a little bit of patience, he perhaps he could have become one of the richest men in Colombia, but in a good way, and he could enjoy his fortune. And this is why I always tell to the kids, hey, man, if you feel talented enough to be a drug dealer, with half of your talent, you can be a very successful businessman. Mm. And you will enjoy your family, your friends, and your freedom instead mm. of you know fighting a, a lot of stupid wars that won't take you to any good place. Mm. I love it. So I've got a few more questions on this thread, but a lot of people in the comments are asking this. So I'm going to have to throw this one in now. But one of the reasons this interview is happening is because last week I interviewed um, Roberto Escobar, calls himself that, um, uh, Philip mm -hmm. Wickham, um, who's just recently launched a book claiming to be um, also Pablo Escobar's son. So do you know much about his story? I understand um, your agent was watching um, one of the videos. Did you hear about that? What do you think about him? Is he really his son? No, man, this is he's just another. He's a third man who claims to be the firstborn, you know, in the same media. The media, they don't have memory. They forget what they print in their own newspaper. So this is another gossip, another business about Pablo Escobar. Bullshit. Sorry for my French again. So uh, good. But, man, this is a crazy man who claims to be even some of his... Um, mates from the school they they are saying to him you know we we saw some even some screenshots uh, of the whatsapp that he has that he's saying that he's a lie everybody knows he's lying and i know that uh he's just trying to sell his uh work of art and 
and he invented a story that looks more like a James Bond's uh, story than something that came out from reality. And and I think that he could use his creativity for better purposes, you know. But uh, he will understand uh, soon that uh, it's not as easy as he uh, as he as he thought to be the son of Pablo Escobar, and he's not the son of Mason. First of all, he said that uh, my father, and this is a you know this is a, such a big lie that the M MI six was trying to infiltrate the Medellin cartel when my father was 16, 16 year old. Come on, man. <laughs> he wasn't the head of any cartel. He was just a simple student. He was in the last years of his school, so he wasn't doing anything. Uh, I don't know where the M, 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 MI6 using the tarot, you know, to know the future. And <laughs> I don't know, but this is a very awkward story. And he did. Um, he didn't uh, think better before lying. So it's uh, it's a liar. And uh, in, in, according to my uncle uh, Roberto, I have no relationship with him at all because he was part of uh, uh, my father's enemies, not my father's family. That's uh, something that I demonstrated in my book. He was working for the authorities and also for Los Pepes, and that's why he could stay. In Colombia, without any uh, anyone complaining, because he truly helped uh, my father's enemies to kill him and the rest of my family. So I wish to have the family that uh, Netflix portrayed in uh, in his and their series series about my father. But sadly, it's not the reality. Uh, it's worse than that, you know. And I can tell you that uh, my father was the good guy of that house. So you can imagine the rest. <laughs> Why do you think so many media in the UK, BBC, loads of big media, um, lapped up and bought um, Philip's um, story? Because um, uh, you know what? At, it was the weirdest week ever, um, Sebastian, because we agreed to do the interview. We'd done some research. It looked from us like maybe 80, 20, doubt. But then through the week, so many people contacted us, giving us this information and this information and this information. I spoke to Philip on the phone. He wanted to do like the biggest interview ever. He wanted me to ask any question. Nothing was too controversial. I could ask anything I liked. I asked him a couple or three really simple, innocent questions, and it all just went weird and funny. Yeah, I'm just a podcasting guy. I'm not a journalist or anything like that. Yet the BBC and the media here lapped up his story and, and, and went for it. Well, they are, I know, I don't know, they, they perhaps they are changing their own business and they are providing DNA, DNA tests. For so you just need to say, yeah, I am the son of Pablo Escobar. You can say it to the BBC and they will say, okay, thank <laughs> you. We're going to give you an interview and, and that's it. It's very easy for today's media because, you know, it, it sells a lot. It brings the people's attention. You know, I have a, um, I'm not a friend of, uh, you know, I, I met a guy who's the owner of a very known web page about news here in Argentina. And every single weekend, he invents something about my father. It doesn't matter if my father passed away 26 years ago. You can see every single weekend a news about my father. And I asked this guy, hey, man, why don't you stop this? Because, you know, my father is dead, you know, for many years ago. And he said, 
you know, I'm doing this for business. When every time I, I just put in the headline the name of, of your father, you know, thousands of people, they want to read that and they stayed and they read the full article. So I need to use this name for my own, uh, you know, economical purposes. So I can understand that most of the media are doing the same. But uh, at the same time, you know, uh, they are using clowns to, to, to produce this kind of news. And I thought, I really thought that BBC was a serious media, but now yeah. I, I know for sure that they are not. Mm. Yeah, Ryan's just said on the live. He's, he's the son of Rob Moore, Ryan has just said on the live. So. Yeah, um, and I'm your brother too, man. Who, who's, <laughs> perhaps the BBC could confirm that too. It's easy. <laughs> so now we are three sons of Pablo Escobar, you, Philip, and me. And anyone can join us. You know, it's easy. Just call the BBC and that, that's all. That's all that we need. And I saw, you know, the papers that, uh, this uh, crazy guy Philip presented. Come on, man! There are no signatures, no document numbers. Everything is fake. Mm. All right, great. So, oh, we've got some questions here. I'll tell you what we'll do, if you don't mind. Um, we'll call you Juan Pablo this time. Uh, okay. we, we've started introducing. So I, I've done about five hundred and fifty episodes. Um, and only about five times have we done this round, and it's a bit of an experimental one, and it's meant for fun, and it's called the cheeky right. round. So you're up for it? It's cool. It's called how? Excuse me. The I cheeky love the... round. Some cheeky questions. Some playful okay. ones. Okay. All let's right. play. <laughs> let's play. So, have you ever been propositioned because of who you are? Has a woman ever come on to you for your fame and notoriety? To, to make a proposal about what business or of or love? Love. <laughs> many times, man. Many <laughs> times. They they even asked me to marry me. Uh, you know, the, the, you can check some of the comments in my social media. They 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 don't know me and they just said, I want to marry you. I believe you. That's great. That was the answer I was hoping for. All right, next then. Um, when you Google your name, the top related search that comes up is your name and then net worth. So a lot of people are Googling you to find out your net worth. And it says your net worth is 30 million. So first off, is that accurate? And then is that all from being an architect and authoring or is there other means of your income generation? Well, I never allow anyone to see my wallet, you know, and I wish that I could have at least 10% of that. And, you know, money is like when you're coughing, is something that you cannot uh, hide, you know, and I'm just driving a Honda Civic from the year 2010 and I would love to have a Lamborghini or Ferrari, but I don't have the money to buy it. And you know what? Um, I feel richer today, even if I don't have the money of my father. Why is that? Because I'm a free man and no, no, all the money in the world can pay for that. I can tell mm. you. So, you know, I'm a decent man. I live uh, from the incomes of my books, and they are being translated in more than 16 languages so, so far. Wow. And um, I've been also selling to the media um, archives about my father. You know, I have many, many photo photographs about our stories, and also as a lecturer and as an architect, and I am also being part of some of the kind of businesses. So I'm, uh, I try to, to, you know, to 
do and start different kind of businesses at the same time. And I can mm. assure you something that I'm the guy who pay more taxes in the whole world because I, I cannot, you know, evade any 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 single cent because I know everybody's <laughs> trying to get away how to touch me. So uh, even if I'm I'm receiving a lot of money, I can tell you that I'm giving half to the government right away. All right. Um, and we're going to come to your books. I'd like to have a good chat about those. Um, what's the most amount of money you've ever seen? I mean, did you go into some of those rooms where there was just money everywhere? You know, I think that um, it was the most money that I could saw, you know, together was like, I don't know, $7 million in cash no more mm. than that and yeah. and i know yeah. of course it's still a lot you know but according to my father's you know uh, money it was nothing because mm. you know in my second book that is not being translated uh, yet in in english and um, i i met the guy who was taking care of the money so i asked him hey in the golden times that you have with my dad tell me about the money you know how much money he was receiving from this business and he told me that uh, look only from the city of miami every single weekend your father was receiving between 50 to 70 million dollars in cash every weekend only in wow. miami so imagine you know los angeles new york and some other cities so my father was a very wealthy man and and all all his money uh, they were using the banks, of course, to transfer transfer the money. And this guy told me that, uh, you know, they they needed they stopped counting the money. They needed to wait the money because there wasn't enough machines to count the money. There was money more money coming than machines available and people from the bank to count it. So um, they they needed to know. Okay, I don't know how how much weight uh, it's a million dollar, but uh, they figured it out and. And this is how they started counting the money because you know they didn't have any much time to do it so they would could send the money to panama or colombia through the banks and mm. of course in those times the bank managers were so happy to receive such amount of money imagine everybody was uh, in the same team but they forgot mm. all right um is there anything about your dad that not many people know? Maybe it's not written in your books or just something not a lot of people know. Well, he he left me a, an envelope with some information and that's something that uh, people don't know about it. And, and of course, I'm not going to tell you what, what it contains. Oh, come on! <laughs> uh, and I've been, you know, I've been pushed to say that, you know, but I'm... I think it's a part of his own personal stories, and it truly surprised me mm. how uh, how close was here to to the real power in Colombia. When I when I opened that envelope, I found out some stories that uh, I I I I did it. I didn't publish them because you know I I don't want to put my life in danger. Sure, of course, I respect that. I really want to ask, but I'm not going to. Um, okay, so uh, this is just a quick one, just for fun. So there's a chap in the community who's been very active over the years called Don Mangles, and it's his birthday, and he's watching you on his birthday. So could you say Don happy Mango. birthday to Don? Happy birthday to Don Mangles. <laughs> yeah, great. He'll be happy about that.
All right. Well, thank. that was our cheeky round. So thanks for getting involved in that. So now we're going to do Q&As from the audience, if you don't mind. And I just yeah. want to say, look, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you. Really appreciate oh, your, your honesty. I think it's amazing how you've turned um, this into a meaningful mission of peace and inspiring young people and trying to change their mind from going into the drugs business to using their creativity and other means. I think that's amazing. So I yeah, just wanted man. to say that. So Thank you, man. Right. Amanda Jane Collins, she's asked, how is your father's notoriety um, mostly positively and mostly negatively affected your life? So she's looking for the most positive effect of being Pablo Escobar's son and the most negative effect of being his son. Well, it's um, it's a very good question. You know, um, you know, prejudice was always uh, surrounding me just because of my father's uh, uh, action in life. And it's been very difficult to move uh, as far as possible that I, as I can be from his shadow so I can be myself. But at the same time, I receive, I am the man I am today because of how he raised me to, you know? I have to recognize that he did a great job as a father and uh, and it's a big contradiction because at the same time he wasn't giving me the right examples out of home, you know. But uh, he was always encouraging me to to study, to be someone else, to to think differently. And um, so I have to say that he gave me the strength, he gave me uh, the human values to be the man I am today. And and even to face him when he was alive, you know, because I'm not talking about peace once he passed away. You know, uh, when he surrendered to La Cathedral Prison, he publicly declared that he was dedicating his surrender to his 14-year-old pacifist son. So that's also a title that I was uh, I received from my own father because perhaps I was the only one who was not applauding him for his violent actions. And most of the bandits that were next to him, they were doing that exactly because their, 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 you know, their incomes, you know, they found that because of the war, not because of peace. Mm. So this one, thank you for that. This one's from Daniel. Um, and I'm just going to tweak it from a couple of the questions in the um, chat. So uh, do you think your father was a good man or a bad man? This is from Daniel Dam. Well, I think that uh, we are not 100% bad or 100% good, you know. Depends who you ask. If you ask uh, to five uh, 5,000 families in Colombia who receive a free house from him, you'll know the answer. And if you ask uh, the 500 uh, policemen who died because of his orders, you'll know his answer. Mm. And uh, so I have to respect both men. And we cannot forget that my father, perhaps, yes, he did help a lot of people. Even he was called uh, in the media the Robin Hood of Colombia. And he was very happy for being called Robin Hood because uh, he said, I, I know that everybody knew that uh, Robin Hood was a thief, but was a good one. Uh, and at the same time, but this is how the media sees my father and how the media wants to portray him. And I have to be very respectful with both opinions, man, you know, because both are true. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Um, you said uh, from my research that you were willing to give your life for him. 
What did you mean by that? Well, I mean that, you know, even if I was against his own violence and I, I talked to him, I, I asked him, hey, dad, don't put more bombs. You know, you're just doing a lot of wrong things. You're killing innocent people. And he started, you know, discussing with me in a very gentle way. But we'd had several discussions. And he said to me, you forgot that, you know, the first uh, terrorist attack was against you, your little sister and your mother, and they almost kill you. And then this is what I'm doing just to pay them back what they did to me, etc. And I said, look, dad, you know, even if I am a victim of a car bomb attack, you know, that doesn't give me the, the you know, the the permit to kill anyone and to put more bombs. You know, I don't believe that's the way out. Uh, and I truly believe that uh, these kind of conversations gave me the opportunity to, to build my own identity in front of my father and to choose a different path. Mm. Let's talk about your books. So um, obviously an amazing story. I want to um, do a good job of plugging your books and hopefully um, you'll get a little bit more of that income that you didn't get from your father from this interview. Oh, thank um, you. Which ones have you got that are translated into English? And you can you sort of let us know about them. Well, uh, my my first book was called Pablo Escobar, My Father. I start, I published this book for the first time in 2014 in Colombia, but very fast, you know, spread all, all over the world. And so far, it's available in more than 15, 16 languages. And of course, uh, uh, there's a UK company, Penguin, who published the book over there. Uh, and I believe is uh, far more serious than the other one, than the the other wannabe uh, wants to publish. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, you know when people wants to see the real story, it's it's through my books. And let me give you one example of that. I presented my second book in Argentina like two or three years ago, and a teenager that he he traveled with his father like four hundred kilometers just to see me. He gave me a close envelope and he said, once you finish, I want you to read this. It was a handwritten letter from him. And he said that the first time in his life when he understood who was Pablo Escobar, it was because his grandmother told him he was watching her grandmother, watching TV, a TV series about my father. And he got you know, fascinated with my father's story. And he said in, in that letter to me that he started buying all the books available, movies and documentaries about my father. And he was totally decided to be like him until the day he read my books. And he decided to be a journalist instead of a gangster. So that I kept that, uh, that letter as um, a permit, you know, to continue publishing my books. Because if a 13-year-old kid can understand that from the lines that I wrote in my books, it's because I'm saying the right message, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not encouraging others to be like my father. I'm not glorifying him. I'm just telling the right stories in the, ra in the, in the right way. So we will all uh, be able to hear what happened, to read what happened, but we will not be inspired to be like him. And this is the, the best intention that I have. And if I ever receive a letter who said that after reading my book, they want to be like my father, I will just, uh, you know, retire my book from the from the market right away. <laughs> I give you my word. <laughs> um, are they also available on audio? Did Penguin publish them on Audible? 
Yes, yes, they are also available. Uh, the second one perhaps is not, perhaps because of the, the kind of stories that I reveal, there's a lot of corruption over there, because the second book, let's say the first one, I wrote the book from the shoes of the son of Pablo Escobar, how I was seeing him uh, as, a, as a father and as a gangster at the same time. But the second book, you know, I put the shoes I like, more like a, a journalist. I wanted to see and I wanted to publish the, you know, the versions of my father's enemies. So it's yeah. the first book that you can read uh, my father's enemies' opinions about him. Because the only books you could find about Pablo Escobar are the ones who are being written by the ones who said I was the brother or I was the sister. Oh, I am the third son that, I, that claims to be the first one, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the, the enemies never speak about him. And so I gave them the opportunity to say, hey, I want you to tell me what my father never told me. And this is what we did. And this is how this, this book was written. Mm. Okay. Thank you. So quick fire round to finish off then. Uh, so what's the best advice you ever received? Well, my father told me um, cocaine is a poison to sell, but not a poison to take. And um, he told me, son, a brave man is the one who doesn't do drugs. That's the truly brave man. And coming from the man who was responsible of 80% of the cocaine market in the world, I think that's an advice that we all have to pay attention. And what's the worst advice you've ever received? From him? Anyone? Uh, well, you know, well, you know, I, I, I've been even receiving threats because I didn't become somebody like my father. Everybody was expecting to have me as Pablo Escobar 2.0, and that's not the case, man. So I even received threats for that because I was, uh, you know, stupid because I didn't want it to be like my father. I don't know if I am, if I am stupid or intelligent, but I know who I am. And I know who I want to be, and and I don't feel that I'm disrespecting my father. I'm totally sure that he will be supporting me in every single word that I'm saying, because uh, I didn't wait for him to die to start speaking about him like that. I was I said the same words that I'm saying to you in front of him. Mm. Okay. And is there one thing at the moment that you think is wrong with the world that you'd like to change? Well, there's a lot of things wrong in the world, man. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I am an architect, so the war on drugs doesn't affect me at all. But it did affect my country and Latin America and the world, uh, the entire world. So I think it's time for the whole world to give ourselves the opportunity to open these kind of subjects again and to think about it twice if fighting a war against drugs is the way out. For me, is is education. It's the only way. It's the only weapon that could truly make a change in our kids' behavior. And 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 I think that drugs are already legalized. Why is that? Because they can send you drugs to your own home. You don't need to go to any bad neighborhood just to buy them. Just have the right WhatsApp number and you will get it, even before the pizza arrives. So that says that, you know, 
the war against drugs is not working properly. And, and of course, prohibition, it's helping to uh, only to uh, improve the incomes of today's cartels that I don't know if we should stay calling them cartels or corporations because they are buying governments. You know, they are buying a lot of wills in the middle and they are sponsoring corruption in the ways you cannot imagine. And I, I didn't knew in my whole life a single drug dealer who is in favor of legalization because that will be the end of his power and his business and his violence. So I think that perhaps the world too, should declare peace on drugs, not more war, because we have been trying the other formula of war uh, for the past century with no results and even with worse results. Because today, if you compare the amount of land that's been used in our country to grow uh, the cocaine leaves, uh, it's at least triple the amount when in, during my father's golden era. So nobody, nothing is improving. It's mm -hmm. only getting better for the drug dealers and not for the society. I, th mm -hmm. I think that this kind of money uh, is going to be always there. And because of a decree of prohibition, the politicians are giving this huge amount of money to the criminals as a gift. So I prefer that you know the governments should take care of this amount of money because you know crimin you know criminals they don't like anyone to cut their wallets so but politicians they are forced to to do that to show their their own expenses and so it's it's going to be easier I'm not saying that perhaps they are going to administrate better the money but at least should be in better hands than the than the criminals hmm. okay and if there was one guest that if we got on this show, you would stop everything you're doing to watch live today. Who would that be? Who would that be, man? Oh, man. I don't know. Who has something interesting to say? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think um, that's, uh, that's a question that I was, uh, that's why I'm, it's taking time to, to find out somebody, you know, who, who I really appreciate. You know, I think it should be somebody related with uh, meditation or yoga, you know, somebody who perhaps the Dalai Lama, you know, mm. I think uh, I've been following him and I, I love uh, one of most of the, his sentences because, you know, I, I truly believe he speaks from the heart mm. and perhaps should be the, the Dalai Lama. Mm. Yeah, I like him. Um, he, he talks a lot about compassion, um, which I, I follow him too. I think he's great. Yeah, and we need to talk about all those things and also about forgiveness and reconciliation because that's another that's another thing that I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to approach to my father's victims. So far, I've been speaking with more than 150 of them and with a success rate of 100% uh, during wow. the forgiveness process. And that made me uh, really proud and brings a lot of hope to the process. So it's good for Colombia to talk about forgiveness and because we were used to solve anything, you know, using guns, not words. And as I told to my father, if you need to use guns to defend your own ideas, perhaps you have to check your own ideas. Mm. Okay, so final one. This podcast uh, has the title disruptive in it. What does the word disruptive mean to you? Well, I think um, 
it's uh, something that you never expected uh, and that you handle in a very different way uh, and in a successful way too, you know, without harming anyone. That's how I feel that should be the, the meaning. I don't know how you feel it or if I'm right or not. There's no right or wrong. I ask every one of my guests how they, I mean, the podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur, but we do mm -hmm. like to interview lots of different people. And I just like hearing everyone else's take on it. I don't think that I don't have a particular ownership of that word. I think most people think mm -hmm. it's positive, creativity, change, evolution, embracing, mm -hmm. um, challenging what's normal, being brave. Um, and what do you think? And Sorry? What do you th and what do you think about the word? What means? What do I think about the word? I think all those things. I think it's the, um, I mean, look, we're in a, a COVID lockdown now. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, you've got to disrupt yourself, your old way of thinking, your old business model, your mm -hmm. old comfort, because that might mm -hmm. all be taken away. Um, so I see it in a positive light. Otherwise, I wouldn't have called my podcast it. Um, and a few people think, of course, it's a little bit negative as well, where it can be a bit of chaos. And I don't believe in shouting and screaming and breaking things and being, oh, look at me all disruptive just for no. the sake. I think you've got to have a mission and you've got to want positive yeah. change. I agree, man. I agree. But thanks for spinning my own question back on me at the end. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a pleasure, man. A pleasure. Look, um, we have had so many lovely comments on the, the live. We live this out just on YouTube. I think this is going to be a wild success. I've really enjoyed it. Everyone's really enjoyed it. Just want to say, look, Sebastian, Juan Pablo, Thank you very much for joining us on the show. It's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I think you're just doing amazing things. I just want to say I really do. So thank um, you, thank you, thank you very much, Rob, for giving me also this opportunity to to speak to your audience and you know to touch. I I I, I can dream about touching some hearts and inspiring them to not to make the same mistakes that my father made in the past and to use this story in a very positive way, even if it has a very, very negative uh, past and, and violence behind. But uh, we can do better things with uh, the stories that make us suffer and we can change. And it's not uh, when we deny this kind of stories, we are not allowing others to, to learn from them. So I thank you for this opportunity and wish you the best of luck, man. Likewise. So everyone watching, first off, we're going to do a debrief on our Facebook page. So jump on over to our Facebook page now. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. And one final thank you. And I love the way you call me man. I don't know why. I just love that. I feel very <laughs> relaxed now speaking to you. Okay, man. I... You don't take other kinds of drugs. You sound so relaxed. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no. I'm, I think the best drug is peace, man, is the best one. The rest Perfect. are just chemicals.